You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. I mean, as you're being seated, if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We began looking at this chapter last week, um, specifically at the uh, account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We said that Jesus creates intentional opportunities for us to appropriate or to apply the knowledge that we're gaining about him into our daily lives, especially by leading us into encounters with earthly problems that require heavenly solutions. And so we, we discussed last week how Jesus specifically wanted to test his disciples, particularly Philip, in, in wanting to see were they grasping the things that he was teaching in a way that would translate to their daily lives. Would they, would they see the relevance of the teaching to the earthly problems that they would encounter? And we talked about how they were tired, exhausted, and even grieving the loss of John the Baptist. And we said that in the midst of that mentality or that setting is when they, they don't miss this opportunity to minister to these people. And so we talked about not missing opportunities to serve when we're on a break. We talked about not failing to apply the knowledge that we're gaining to everyday life. Um, Jesus sets them up with this opportunity and challenges them with a setting where there's a lack of food, there's a lack of ways to provide the food for the people, and will they trust Jesus in the midst of that? We talked about not despairing by limiting God with human solutions, that when the disciples are kind of gathered together after assessing the situation, there is nowhere to buy food, there's no money to buy food, and there's not enough food to share once they've kind of gone through the crowds to see what is available. And uh, so we talked about not despairing when human solutions don't seem to answer our problems. We talked about the impact that we can have on uh, young people and immature people with the responses that we have in these type of situations, right? That Andrew goes and finds the young uh, young boy with the food, um, but in presenting it back to Jesus, says, I don't think you can do much with this. I don't think this is going to matter much, but we do have this food that this boy has. And so we talked about what type of impression was left on the little boy with Andrew's interaction? Was, was it an encouraging interaction where the boy felt empowered and hopeful in his attitude of service? Or did he uh, walk away from that situation kind of despairing over the fact that, that even what I have is not going to be good enough for Jesus? And so we talked about the impact that we can have uh, on others in the way that we respond to situations. We talked about um, looking for uh, God's provision before looking for human solutions, that we can kind of flip the script and instead of trying to find human solutions, falling flat on our face and then looking to God, that when we encounter situations that are uh, troubling or or problemsome for us, that we can look to God first, pray for uh, heavenly solutions before we start to assess uh, possible earthly solutions. And then we talked at the very end of the passage about not assuming that good intentions are always God's intentions. Um, that we don't want to make Jesus into a tool that we use to satisfy our wants and desires, that after this display of uh, miraculous uh, power, the people want to seize him and make him their king, which would have gone contrary to the plans that God the Father had. And so we talked about being careful not to assume that our good intentions are always God's intentions. The truths that I left you with last week that I wanted you to remember, we can trust God daily to provide for both our physical and our spiritual needs with anticipated intentional plans. The passage specifically says that Jesus knew exactly how he was going to handle this situation 
prior to doing so. We also said that we will always be confronted with problems that are too big for human solutions, but are never too big for Jesus's power. And so I challenged you over the past week, be intentional to pray first when encountering a problem before looking for human solutions as it may shape how you view the human solutions that are provided. Let's look now at John chapter 6, verse 16, coming right after the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Our summary sentence for today We must trust Jesus and his good plan during life's storms, realizing that oftentimes the storm is designed to protect us from greater danger while helping us come to know him in a deeper manner. We must trust Jesus and his good plan during life's storms, realizing that oftentimes the storm is designed to protect us from greater danger while helping us come to know him in a deeper manner manner. For our kids, God protects us, or God brings us into storms to protect us and to teach us more about him. What we're going to see from this passage is that we need to trust Jesus and his good plans, even when we're in the midst of a storm, uh, a situation that we would not choose, a situation that is contrary to our plans, um, a situation that is not ideal to the setting that we had anticipated. We trust Jesus in the midst of those situations, realizing that The situation that we are in is uh, far less worse than what it probably could have been without Jesus directing us into that situation. And we're going to see what that could have looked like had Jesus not guided them into this storm. So trusting Jesus in storms, realizing the storm is designed to protect us possibly from even greater danger. It's also meant to help us come to know him in a deeper manner. And we're going to see how the disciples benefited from this experience in a way that the crowds who were also present for the feeding of the 5,000 but did not get to witness this event, how they did not maybe benefit as much um, in, in some of the hard teachings of Jesus that's to come later in this chapter. For our kids, God brings us into storms to protect us and to teach us more about him. The disciples had experienced this great miracle earlier in the chapter, and now the question is being raised, would they trust Jesus now when he isn't visibly present with them, right? So maybe, maybe the disciples are learning to trust Jesus when he's there, when he's present, when he can be the solution to the problem, but will they turn their attention to trust Jesus when he's not with them? Jesus knows he's, leaving, he's gonna be leaving soon. He's gonna be departing. He's gonna be ascending back to heaven. He needs to establish a group of followers who trust him even when he's not visibly present. We know, obviously, from God's omniscience that he's always there. He's always present. Uh, but there is something uh, unique. There is something comforting uh, about seeing uh, somebody with you, right? And so to have Jesus with you 
probably makes you feel far more assured than to, to not have Jesus with you in this type of setting. In fact, uh, it's not mentioned in John, but Jesus has already demonstrated the ability to, uh, to calm storms when they were crossing over a sea. Previously, Jesus was with them in the boat. So not walking on water, but simply asleep in the boat. They have to awake him and Jesus calms the storm. That has already happened in the timeline when this takes place. Okay, so John doesn't bother to mention it, but it is worth noting for us that they've already had experiences of Jesus calming storms, but he was with them when he did it. Will they trust him now when he's not with them? Okay, Um, we learn from looking at the other passages in both Matthew and Mark that the disciples were instructed to cross the sea. This isn't their idea. It's not something that they do on a whim. It's something that Jesus had strongly encouraged them to do. But in doing so, they encounter a wind that prohibits them from doing so, right? So the the stretch that they're trying to cross here in this passage is about a six-mile stretch of this sea. And we know from the passage here, they get about halfway before they really can't get any further. That they start their journey uh, when the sun goes down and when it's getting dark, and it's about 3 a.m. at the earliest that Jesus comes to their rescue. Could be anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay, so it's the late evening, what the passage calls the fourth watch in, in Matthew and Mark. And so um, it's late into the evening where they have exhausted themselves in attempting to cross the sea as they were instructed to by Jesus. These are seasoned, experienced fishermen uh, who could not overcome this storm despite their knowledge and skill. So this is probably not the first time they've encountered a storm, uh, but maybe the first time they were unable to overcome it themselves. Um, this story continues to show Jesus to be the greater Moses. Uh, we talked about the fact that the people recognize him in fulfillment of that prophecy that a greater prophet like Moses would come. Here we have Jesus carrying his people across the sea, but not having to part the sea to walk on dry land. He's actually walking on the water as though it is dry land, right? And so Jesus is once again showing himself to be a greater version of Moses. He is the greater prophet that Moses predicted would come. The disciples have already experienced this, we said, from the uh, calming of the other storms, just not mentioned in John. I think there's some key elements from the other accounts of the story to keep in mind. I told you when we first started our study in John that we weren't going to spend a whole lot of time looking at the other accounts in the other gospels. I didn't want us to get bogged down too much, but I did tell you that John is written after the other gospels. So there is maybe some level of expectation that John says, I don't have to write everything down because my readers will have an understanding of some of this stuff from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so if you look at those passages in Matthew and Mark, particularly for this uh, story, I think there's some things that immediately jump out to me as being different or left out by John that I think is helpful in setting the setting for us. One that we already mentioned, they were strongly told to take the boat across the sea, They're responding in obedience to Jesus. Um, We also see what Jesus is doing during the time that he's separated from them, right? That he's he's in the midst of praying. Um, And I even put in my notes, it's highly likely that he's praying for them while they are in the storm, right? That, That we see regularly Jesus... Uh, when we get kind of a, an insight into the actual prayers, it's not uncommon for us to see Jesus retreating during the Gospels to spend time in prayer. We don't always get to see what he is praying about. But we see the night before his, uh, the, or the time before his crucifixion, when he's praying, who's he praying for? He's praying for his disciples. 
He even references to Peter, Peter, you're going to be tempted greatly. I'm praying, I'm praying for you that when Satan sifts you, you don't, uh, you don't give in to that, right? So we know that it was a pattern for Jesus to pray for his disciples. I think it's highly likely that while they are in this storm, Jesus is interceding on their behalf, which is a great comfort for us to, to, to put ourselves into the situation and say, okay, it's, it's, it's very likely as well when we're going through storms that Jesus is interceding on our behalf as well. It's promised to us, right? It's promised to us that that's what Jesus is doing in heaven. He is interceding on our behalf, right? So what a great comfort for us to know when we go through similar storms, when we go through difficult times, hard times, uh, difficult circumstances, to know that our Savior is interceding on our behalf, uh, that we are not alone in that journey. So we find that Jesus is praying probably for them while they're in the storm. We also see kind of the response that they have afterwards. They worship after the experience. It's a good reminder to us, are we quick to worship when Jesus does deliver us? It's the same response that we see in the story of Jonah for the people that throw Jonah over, overboard, right? That, that they too respond in worship at the power of God to cease and calm the storm that they were in. Um, it's interesting to me in... Mark, how Mark even references a hardening of the heart that took place in the disciples in response to the feeding of the 5,000, right? Like we would hope and think that seeing God feed the 5,000 would incite greater belief in them, but for at least some, it seems to have hardened them. And in terms of understanding what hardened means, it typically in scripture means a lack of belief. And so this account may be another step by Jesus to encourage belief because they had not gained the understanding that they should have from the feeding of the 5,000. I think what's missing in all three of these accounts is any evidence that the disciples ever prayed for help in the midst of this storm. There's no mention of it. Not to say that it didn't happen, but there's no mention that they're crying out for help looking for Jesus. As we look at this text, there's several things that I want to draw your attention to. And again, it's a small text, um, but I think it's, it's chock full of a lot of truth that we need to, to mine out and possess this morning for ourselves, um, realizing that we're going to go through storms, that it's, a, it's an assumed thing in Scripture that we are always going to be going through difficult times, even when we're being obedient, um, that we're not exempt from storms by being obedient, we see uh, time and time again in Scripture that believers go through storms. Um, just listening to some of you talk, like this isn't the only account where God's people are doing the right thing and having to go through a, a physical storm. Paul does the same thing on his missionary journey, right? But we also know that storms come from disobedience as well. That's why Jonah finds himself in the situation that he's in. So storms happen in obedience and disobedience. We need to be properly prepared for the storms that we are going to go through, all right? So point number one, make sure your life's storms are tied to your obedience. Those are the good ones to be in. Those are the ones that you want to be in. Make sure that your life's storms are tied to your obedience. For our kids, sometimes storms come even when we are obedient. Make sure your life's storms are tied to your obedience, they're going to come. That's inevitable. But in some ways, we get to choose what type of storm it is. Is it going to be in response to our obedience or our disobedience? 
Number one, storms come in response to disobedience and obedience. We reference Jonah being an example of a storm of disobedience. John chapter 6 here is an example of the disciples responding in obedience. They are led into this storm that is ultimately controlled by Jesus. Right, so Jesus, again, is orchestrating the setting for us. He led them into a setting to teach the people and place them in a setting where there would not be enough food so that he could deliver them. He does the exact same thing here with the disciples. He willfully separates himself from them. We see from the other passages, he really pushes them in this direction to get on this boat and to set sail Right, And then obviously the ways that Jesus demonstrates his ability to walk on the water, he is showing his authority and his power over the sea. The fact that he can calm it when he gets into the boat shows that this is not just any storm. This is, this is a storm that is submitted to him, right? which is true for all storms. And so Jesus is showing the fact that I've orchestrated this entire thing. It was my plan for you to get out here. I control the storm so I can make it come and go as I please, right? So this is directly in response to their obedience. Storms come in response to both disobedience and obedience. Number two, storms may feel the same, but our response in them changes based on the reason. Storms may feel the same, but our response in them changes based on the reason. So, We're going through a difficult time, difficult circumstance, uh, some type of trial. It's important for us individually to step back and assess, is this due to obedience or disobedience? Because it changes what we do in the storm. Now, this isn't our right or our prerogative to do it for somebody else, right? That's where Job's friends got into trouble a little bit, trying to prompt him to see sin that wasn't necessarily there that God was judging him or disciplining him for things that he had not done, right? But us personally, I think we have every need, every right to step back and say, what is happening in my life? Is there anything that I need to self-examine myself about to ensure that this is in response to obedience versus disobedience, right? Um, So they may feel the same. It may be the exact type of setting as a disobedient type storm. But it does change how we respond in it, right? So Jonah finds himself in the midst of a storm. The disciples find themselves in the midst of a storm. But the expectation for what they are supposed to do in that storm is drastically different, right? Storms of disobedience, God's hand of discipline is against us. We need to repent in those situations. Storms of obedience, God's plan for good is at work around us. He's praying for us. He is going to come and deliver us. What do we do in those settings? We're trusting him, right? So storms of obedience, what are we called to do? We are called to trust him even to the fourth watch if necessary, expecting that he will show up and deliver us. Storms of disobedience, there's things that need to be gotten right. There there needs to be repentance that takes place, right? And so The storm may look exactly the same, but what we do in the midst of that storm can drastically change. It's not about avoiding storms. It's about making sure you have God's help in them. We talked a while back um, about what we, well, I think what we kind of coined the term God's supportive presence, right? That God's always with us. He's always omniscient. He is always present in our life. How he's present 
changes based on our obedience or lack of obedience. How he involves himself in our life changes whether we are responding in faith and trust and belief or whether we are wandering and straying, what he's actually doing in our life. So it's not about avoiding the storms. It's about making sure that we have God's help in the midst of them, that he has a, that he has a supportive presence with us. Make sure your life storms are tied to your obedience. Number two, keep in mind that storms from obedience can be protective. They can be protective. For our kids, God's storms protect us from other dangers. What do we mean by that? Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now again, we know from the other passages, this isn't something that they self-generated the idea to do. This is something that Jesus made them do. I fully believe that Jesus recognized what a tempting situation it would be for his disciples to be conversing with people who were ready to seize Jesus and make him king. This would have been an opportunity for the pride and the arrogance of the disciples that we know is present from other passages, right? Like they're bickering about who's going to be Jesus's right-hand man in the kingdom one day, right? So, so we know authority was important to them. We know that there was an element of pride and arrogance that Jesus was constantly having to work on and sanctify them with. I think Jesus identifies this situation and says, this isn't my plan. Like, it's not time for me to be made king. I understand that. But these guys over here who we just read about, who have had hardened hearts even in the midst of the feeding of the 5,000, they're probably not exempt from falling prey to this temptation. So what does Jesus say? He says, we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. Now, uh, an immature response to the storm situation would be to say, I thought Jesus loved me. I thought Jesus cared for me. I thought Jesus was concerned about my life, right? And here I am in the middle of a sea where Jesus told me to go, and there's this great storm, and I don't know what's going to happen. All the while, behind the scenes, what we don't always get to see is that Jesus has protected his disciples from an extremely dangerous situation that would have probably not been labeled dangerous by them, right? So the feeding of the 5,000 happens. They're kind of sitting around, small talk afterwards. And, and there's a group, a band over here that's like, hey, we should do this. We should, we should really talk to Jesus about being king right now. We will follow him. We can get more people to follow him. I mean, this would have felt very healthy and very right because they're hearing teachings about Jesus saying the kingdom's coming, right? That we need to get ready for the kingdom. So here they're thinking, man, the people are responding to the teaching of Jesus. Let's go do this. And they could have very easily started to be grouped into this, this, this movement of wanting to seize him and make him king. Jesus says, that's not healthy for them. I need to remove them from that setting. We could look at it and say, man, Jesus put them in an extremely dangerous situation. The flip side is to say, man, Jesus removed them from an extremely dangerous situation. He got them out, and they didn't even know they were in it. They didn't even know they were in a dangerous situation. But Jesus, in his sovereignty and in his fatherly care for them, he says, you're about to be in danger. I'm going to remove you 
and put you over here. And Jesus' instructions and Jesus' conversation with them is that they're not really even in danger on the sea, right? Because they, they, they feel like they should be fearful. Jesus says, you don't need to fear, like it's me, right? So, so I control this. I told you to come out here. There's zero things to be afraid of, right? When should we be afraid? Well, we should be afraid, I think, if we are in revolt and rebellion against our creator, right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But Jesus is saying, you don't have any reason to be afraid out here because I told you to come out here and I control everything that's happening around you out here. Where would you have been in danger? Well, you'd have been in danger if your flesh had been over here and had the opportunity to seize control of this movement that was not of me. And the disciples are completely exonerated from that situation. They're completely removed from that situation, protected from that situation. The disciples are spared from a greater danger, number one. Would have been extremely tempting to respond to the crowd's desires to crown him king. Would have meant power and authority for them. But number two, I think Jesus also equips them to face a greater danger as well. We're going to see in the coming weeks all this teaching that Jesus does at the end of chapter 6. And then in response to the hard teaching, what does verse 66 say? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is part of their response in the calming of the storm. They admit that he is who he is claiming to be. I think Jesus uses this storm to set them up for this hard teaching teaching that the crowds basically reject, some of the closest people outside the 12 even reject to the point that they no longer follow him. And when it's posed to Peter, hey, are you going to do the same thing? Peter says, man, where else are we going to go, right? Like, like we're coming off an experience last night where we had no, no, nowhere else to go, nothing else we could do, and you delivered us from that. I don't think Peter, Peter doesn't step back and say, where's everybody going? This teaching's easy. I don't think he tries to minimize the hardness of what Jesus is saying. He just kind of comes at it from the approach of, where else would we go? Where else are we going to go for the things that are being shown and done and taught to us? So I think not only does Jesus spare them from this greater danger of being around people who were going to go against God's plan, but he also equips them for something that is coming in their future that they have no idea about as well. And so the storm protects them from what they were currently in and equips them for something they're going to face in the future as well. This lesson further confirms what they need to do in response to Jesus's hard teaching that is coming. Number three, be encouraged that Jesus sees and knows our plights. He understands what we're going through. He understands the difficulties and the struggles. Again, it's helpful to see these other passages because the picture that we get is that Jesus is on the mountain. He's on the mountain praying and he's able to visibly see 
the struggles that they're going through. He can see them on the sea. He can see them laboring. He can see them not being able to make the progress. For our kids, we can trust Jesus to help us when we are in a storm. Number one, he controls the storm they experience. To the point that we're never really told that they are fearful of the storm, but we are told that their fear does express itself towards Jesus. It says when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Their fear rightfully shifts from the storm to the maker of the storm. The one who's walking on the sea obviously is greater than the storm. What we don't get here, if we're not well-versed in the Old Testament, is that Jesus is showing himself to be the God of the Old Testament because it was understood by the Jewish people that only God can control the sea and only God can control the storms. There's multiple passages in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Psalms, that talks about God having authority over the raging seas and having the ability to calm them. So this isn't something that Jesus shows up and kind of creates something that God can do that nobody ever expected that God could do. It's, it's testified in the Old Testament that God has the power and the ability to do this. So when Jesus shows power and ability to do this, he is teaching something about himself. He is expressing something about himself beyond just working a miracle. He is saying the God of the Old Testament that you have followed and trusted in, who uh, controls the seas, controls the storms, that's the power and the ability that I have. He controls the storm they experience. And then number two, he knows exactly where they are in the storm. We're not told that Jesus just, boom, shows up at the storm. We're told that he's on the mountain, he sees where they are, and then he begins to walk to them on the sea. Which means help was coming long before they ever saw it. God was already starting to deliver them before they ever saw the fruit of his deliverance, which is another helpful thing for us to embrace this morning, that when we are in the midst of difficult circumstances and we may feel like there is no evidence that God is at work in this, there is no evidence that God is going to deliver me from this, that most likely help is on the way and has been on the way and God has been orchestrating the delivering circumstances that are to come far before you're ever aware of it. So even when it feels like, man, where is he in the midst of the storm? He's probably been moving for a lot longer than you're giving him credit for. Jesus sees them. He knows exactly where they're at on the sea. He begins to move towards them walking on the water. He demonstrates power and ability to show up and to act in a moment's notice. Although he's always been present with them, he visibly shows himself at that point. Be encouraged that Jesus sees and knows exactly where you are too. So no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, know that Jesus is probably praying and probably sees exactly where you're at and is already moving to deliver you from that situation, even though you don't see the evidence of it yet. Number four, see Jesus as the escape from the storm. So make sure your life storms are tied to your obedience, not your disobedience. 
man, let's, let's limit the difficulties that we have to go through and not increase them by our disobedience. Because storms come for both, obedience and disobedience. We can, we can limit the amount of storms we're going through potentially by steering clear of the ones that are resulting from our disobedience, right? We want to be in the obedient storms. Keep in mind that storms from obedience can be protective. So why would we desire obedient storms? Because I personally want to desire protective situations that get me out of dangers that I'm not even aware of, right? So how many times has God potentially brought us through a difficult circumstance to protect us from an even greater one? Let's be slow to judge and slow to criticize where he's at and what he is doing when he very likely is saving us and sparing us from something far greater than whatever it is we're going through. Keep in mind that storms can be protective. Be encouraged that he sees us and knows what we're going through. And then lastly, see him as the escape from the storm. Number one, he removes our reasons to fear our circumstances. So they set out, it's dark, they, they, the, the, the sea becomes rough and they're, they're rowing against it and they're frightened about it. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. He removes our reasons to fear our circumstances. I'll put in my notes, he possesses the needed content to truly offer the encouragement to not be afraid. He possesses the needed content to truly offer the encouragement to not be afraid. He has a different, a more accurate perspective about what is going on. Think about, this is how we typically try to offer to our kids reasons for why they should not be fearful. Because we believe we have needed content, we have a different perspective that if they can grasp it, well, there is no reason to fear, right? Um, we're really trying to work with Mally at night to keep her in her bed. Um, we got into a bad habit of being tired as parents with a newborn and just letting her come in and plop down on our floor and fall asleep and make a pallet because we were too tired to get up and put her back in her bed, right? So Laura and I finally had a conversation. We said, this has got to change. Like I'm tripping over kids, getting up to go to work in the morning. Uh, They're waking up whenever Apollos has to wake up and eat. And so it just wasn't working for our family. So we began to discuss, okay, we got to be real intentional about me getting up and making her stay in bed, even if it means spanking her at two in the morning because she won't listen. All right, so we've been working through this over the past several nights. And there was one night this week where I think Mally knows how to play on the situation to get me to respond the way that she wants me to, right? Um, and so she, she came in, did her little thing that she normally does, and I told her, no, you've got, you've got to go back to bed. And so immediately she defaults into this I'm scared type of mentality, right? So she's, she's terrified over, over what may be in the closet or somebody's going to get her or, or whatnot. And so she's telling me about her fears, Right? Well, then I immediately go into assurance mode of, Mally, you don't have anything to be afraid of, right? Like there's nothing in your closet. There's nothing in this house that's gonna harm you. And I even told her, I said, daddy will always work to the best of his ability to make sure that there is nothing ever there to hurt you. So from my perspective, I see things differently than her, right? Like she's young, she's, she's fearful of the dark, she's fearful of the unknown. There are things that she can't process right now that creates fear in her. 
but I have a better perspective. I have a bigger picture about what our house is like and the security that's in place to keep things out to where I can assure her, hey, you don't have anything to fear about tonight. Like, I want you to go back to sleep. You don't have to get up. You don't have to be crying. You don't have to be afraid. Well, that's what Jesus is offering to his disciples right here. And it's what he extends to us as well. When we find ourselves in circumstances where we feel like there's unknown things happening, I don't know how to process this. I don't know what to do with it. Jesus shows up and says, it's me. You don't have to be afraid, right? Well, what content does he possess that would give them assurance that they don't need to be afraid? One, he's clearly demonstrating that he controls the present, Right? I mean, he is showing the very thing that you're afraid of is, is what I'm taking a casual walk on right now. Right? Like, like I'm so casual about what you're so fearful about, this storm. Right? And so he's showing that he is completely in control of the present. But we also know from scripture that he is destined the future that we're going to experience too. So he always remains in control of our present. And Romans 8.28 says he's always working things for the good of his children, which means he is destined things to happen. Tyson and I have, have uh, talked before about this parent at Trinity who, who doesn't get this and, it, and is really working against this mindset and wants to create this openness about the future. I don't want to be in a setting where the future is open and I'm supposed to trust somebody who doesn't control it. That doesn't give me a whole lot of assurance. Even, even with my relationship with Mally, I can only offer her so much assurance about what can and can't happen to her in her bed because ultimately there are things that I can't control, right? I don't want there to be any openness about the future when it comes to our heavenly father. I want to give him all of that control. I don't want to try to take it away from him. I don't want to try to explain scripture in such a way that would minimize his ability to control the future. He is in control of the present and he is destining our future, which gives us absolutely zero reason to fear. The challenge, the test that's being presented to the disciples here, will they trust him before they see a change in their circumstances? Because he tells them not to fear while the storm's still going on. He tells them not to fear before he transports them to their end goal, their destination, right? So there's this, this decision that has to be made. Are we gonna trust him? Are we gonna invite him into the boat? Are we gonna, are we gonna put our faith in him and the content that he possesses? Thankfully, Mally trusted me the other night and she went to sleep. And it didn't take very long for me to end up back in my bed and going back to sleep myself. And I think she, she made a decision to stop crying and to trust the words that I was giving to her. And that's exactly what the disciples do here. They trust him they show that by their actions. He comes into the boat. Other passage tells us they begin to worship and confess things about him. We have to be careful that we don't push him away when he comes to us in the storm to not let our fear or our, plot, our pride blind us. Here's the thing. If we're not careful, we get into a storm in life we become critical of God for leading us into this storm and not sparing us from this storm, right? So that when he shows up to deliver us from the storm, we're not interested in him at that point. We're, we're mad at him. We're frustrated with him. We, we are not looking for his help. We're now ready to push him away 
and we want to just kind of loathe ourselves in the storm that we found ourselves in. We have to be careful that we don't push him away when he shows up to deliver us from the storm that we are in. He removes our reasons to fear our circumstances. He controls the present. He destines the future. He has that content, that bigger picture perspective. We can find great encouragement in that. Number two, he carries us through our circumstances, sometimes rather quickly. I heard Bobby referencing this multiple times in their discussion group that what's crazy is the text says they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. They're, they're only halfway there when Jesus shows up. Now, some commentators would say their sweet fellowship with Jesus made it feel like that the time passed so quickly and that they were there immediately. I don't think we have to explain away miracles. So I'm okay with saying, boom, he steps in, boom, the storm stops, boom, they look up and they're on the other side. That the encouragement to us is that we can be at our ropes end saying, what in the world is happening why am I in this situation? I'm being obedient. I'm doing the right thing. Right? I'm, I'm answering Jesus's call. He said to go do this, so I did this, and it seems to be falling all apart, right? And, and, and then Jesus shows up, and then boom, like it's over like that fast, right? The storm goes away, and the journey ends, and he carries us all the way through. It's an encouragement to us that things can be so bad and then be so right so quickly, when Jesus is in control of everything. That things can be so bad and be so right so quickly when Jesus shows up. Again, he's always there. It's not that he's not there and all of a sudden has to show up, but when he shows up visibly for the disciples, it's similar to him showing up in ways that we can see him now working around us and delivering us from our storms. This is the less publicized miracle in this uh, story. But he brings them to the shore immediately. Things can change very quickly with God. We come to know Christ deeply when he comes in the midst of storms in our life. That response by Peter at the end, where, where are we supposed to go? I mean, at this point, he's saying, the things that I'm experiencing with you, Jesus, I, I don't know where I would turn my attention to if I, if I wasn't gonna continue following you. Job chapter 42 um, you know how, I mean, if you step back and think how many Sunday school lessons, sermons, discipleship classes you've been through, like, it's crazy how many kind of stick with you over the years. It's probably not a ton, right? Like, if you kind of calculate how many sermons have I listened to and how many could I really go back and remember specific things, it's a lot less, right? But I remember being um, in a Sunday school class at Woolsey Baptist Church, and I think Jeremy Davidson was teaching. Now, you and Ben may have been in the class, Andrew. Um, but I remember they were going, I think they'd been going through the book of Job. And so they were at the very end of the study of Job. And he's talking about this passage in Job chapter 42. And I'd never really heard it before, but it really stuck with me. And it comes from Job chapter 42, verse five. Job kind of seeing at least some spiritual fruit from why he has had to go through the things that he's gone through. He says in verse five, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. He says, I, I had heard things about you, but now I've seen it, I've experienced it. 
And so Job is confessing this deeper knowledge that could never be gained from a lesson, that could never be gained from a sermon. Because he said, man, I'm stacking those things up. I've, I've heard, 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 heard a lot of this about you. But now I've gone through it. And now I see you. Right? I think we would all say it's one thing to hear things, but to actually see things, that, that sensory piece for us, that, that changes things when you can see it and not just hear it. Right? You can hear things in the woods, and then you see it, and it changes your response. Right? You could be very fearful about things that you hear in the woods and then see what's making that noise. totally changes things. Job says, I've heard these things, now I see these things. And it it means that I know you in a better way. I've experienced you in a different way, in a more meaningful way. And that's what happens when God brings us through storms. Two truths that I want you to remember. Number one, when going through storms, be quick to pray for help, believing that he sees and will respond. We said that there's no evidence that the disciples prayed about this. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But we can at least say we should. That when we're going through a difficult time, less than ideal circumstances. Be quick to pray for help, believing that he sees and will respond. I mean, just just start putting yourself in a position where you're going through something and you envision Jesus is already praying for you about it and you're able to call upon him and pray for him to start moving in your direction to deliver you from whatever it is you're going through. That's the picture we have here is Jesus is praying for his disciples, sees what they are in, the very thing that he led them into purposefully, now he goes and gets them. They've been spared from this greater danger. They've now been equipped for this future danger. He now steps in and delivers them. We can pray for that type of deliverance too. Number two, when going through storms, don't lose hope in the fourth watch. He always comes, keep expecting it. Be easy if we ventured into storms and immediately prayed and God immediately delivered us from it and it lasted far less time than even the disciples had to go through that night. That's not always how God works. Sometimes it's days and weeks and months and maybe even years that God has us in a storm, has us in a circumstance, a situation that, that not our own choosing. There can be great hope and encouragement, though, when you know that you're there from an obedient mindset versus a disobedient mindset. Be great hope and encouragement in knowing that the one who possesses the content and the bigger perspective is on your side, which means you don't have to fear in those settings because he remains in control and he has destined your future. The application for this week. I want you to pray for and seek to encourage one person this week that you know is encountering a storm right now in their life. And you may be going through one yourself. Sometimes one of the greatest ways to minister to yourself is to minister to somebody else, and you gain from that too. So the things that you would share with somebody, and you're in your own storm, probably the exact same things you need to be hearing yourself anyways. So putting forth the effort to figure out how am I going to encourage somebody else, probably going to encourage you yourself too. But let's just step back for, for seven days this week, see if we can figure out anybody that we know in our life who's going through a difficult time right now, something that could be labeled a storm. Let's just be intentional to pray for them this week, and let's be intentional to try to find some ways to encourage that person this week. And so our family worship questions will be tied directly to that. Who is somebody we know 
that is going through a difficult time that we can pray for this week and what is something we can do to help encourage that person this week as well. I want to close by reading a psalm to you. Psalm 107, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. That's exactly what Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. We haven't focused on that today, but this is evidence again that even in the disobedient storms he delivers, right? Just means you, you act differently in them, right? These people are having to repent and offer sacrifices. The others are having to do what? Trust him in the midst of it, right? Storms may feel very similar, but our response is different. So you may be sitting here this morning and you're going through stuff and it's because of your sin. And there's great hope for you this morning too that you can be rescued from it as well, that you can be delivered from the storm too. Verse 23, some went down to sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful, fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction, makes their families like flocks. The uptight 
the upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the ways that you oftentimes spare us from greater tragedies, more difficult circumstances, trying situations and temptations that we will never know about. God, help us to strive to have a bigger perspective than sometimes we settle for. God, help us not to continually and constantly be the little girl in a bedroom who is fearful of things that don't even exist. God, help us not to be critical of you when you're taking us through hard times, wondering where you are and why you don't love us and why you're not caring for us. Help us to think bigger about how you are most likely caring for us in ways that we cannot even fathom and imagine. God, we are thankful for ways that you spare us and protect us, even when it means difficulty for us. God, we're thankful that oftentimes you carry us through difficult situations in order to prep us and equip us for things that are come later in our life. God, we're thankful that you have the foresight to see exactly what we need in the future and you work to prepare us for it now. God, help us to see that you are in control of the present. You control the storms and the seas around us. God, help us to also take great comfort and encouragement in knowing that you have destined our future, that you work good for your children, that it's not empty words when you say, do not be afraid, it's I. that we should find great hope and encouragement when you say, it is I, do not be afraid. God, help us to leave today less fearful than maybe when we came in today about things that we're going through. Help us to be more receptive, appreciative. Help us to worship you in the midst of difficult times as we pray and cry out for deliverance. Help us to know that you're fully capable of delivering us in your timing. God, help us to be intentional this week, to be aware of those around us who are going through difficulties, people that we can pray for, people that we can encourage. God, help us to be intentional this week with those efforts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.